when you when you save just for the sake of saving, you you just have money that you're gonna eventually blow. At least that's my personality. And so, I would say to save, but save for a purpose. When I was saving for my wife's engagement ring, I didn't feel bad about saving. I didn't want to. I'm not gonna touch that money because it has a purpose and there's a reason that I'm saving. And so. I found myself like less inclined to want to spend, overspend and things like that. Welcome to the Millennials and Money podcast, the podcast dedicated to encourage millennials to continue to make wise decisions with their money. We find some of the best ways to learn is through stories. So each week, your host and wealth advisor, Payne Boyer, invites a millennial guest on the show to share their money story. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. So this week, I got a very special guest. His name is Phil Wiggins. Say what's going on, Phil. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Thanks for having me, Peyton. It's my pleasure. So, Phil, I'm going to allow you in here in a second to introduce yourself. But first, let mm-hmm. me share how you and I originally know each other. So, Phil, okay. you met when I first got in the industry. Uh, you and I met when I first got in the industry. I was with a, a previous company. And um, we, I met with you and your wife, and you guys were just looking for insurance. You're, you're newlyweds, and I believe... Was your wife pregnant at the time or was it before she was even pregnant? It, no, it was before she was pregnant. Uh, we were looking at getting married. We we're a couple months out of getting married. And so we we're setting up, uh, we we're setting up life insurance. That's right. So you were just getting us off to the right start. And, you know, since then we kind of reconnected since I've been at this new company, I reached out to you to share that I had a podcast and you said, Hey man, I got a podcast too. So we decided we'd both be great guests for one another's podcast. So yeah. we've, we've known each other. So I believe we met before little Peyton was born, my son, and he's four years old now. So it's been a good, right. just about five years now. Yeah, it's been a little bit, man. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I think it's real cool how things come back full circle and we're both doing the same thing at the same time. Mm-hmm. Worked out perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. So Phil, I've said enough about you. Uh, let me give you a second <laughs> to talk about yourself. So introduce who you are what you do for a living, something about uh, kind of what, what drives you. Yeah, for sure. So uh, like Peyton said, my name is uh, Phil, Philip, whatever you want to call me works. Uh, I'm 29. I am married. Uh, my wife, her name is Carissa. She is a registered nurse and she rocks. Uh, we have a daughter. Her name is Reagan. She is two and a half and we have a son on the way due March of 21. We are so excited Uh to, to have one of each and then you could just be done, I guess. I don't know how kids work, but I'm pretty sure that's how it works. Uh, other than that, man, I am currently a student. I am two weeks out from graduating with my bachelor's in leadership from William Jessup University. Um, and from there, I'll be church ministry um, basically right as January hits, so right after I graduate. Um, yeah, that's who I am. That's what I do. Uh, I'm also the host of a podcast, like you said, the Made Alive podcast. Uh, me and my co-host Seth are a couple young leaders. We just talk about leadership and what we're learning because we're young and we are failing and learning and we want other people to uh, learn and maybe avoid those failures, but at least get to learn from us as we as we do this. So that's, uh, that's who I am. What I'm passionate about though, I'm an avid sports fan and I'm an avid coffee drinker. Not like a snob that I'm going to talk about it all day, but I am an avid coffee drinker and sports fan. What, what's a go-to cup of coffee? Honestly, uh, just black cold brew. That's it. Nothing in it. I, I used to put a bunch of stuff in it, but then I had kids and I needed more caffeine quicker. And so I just cut out the middleman, went straight to black coffee. My man, I'm a black co- a cold, cold brew as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the way to go. If you're not on that cold brew train, what are you doing? Just get get on board with the cold brew. Just get out. So when every time I order it, no matter where I'm going, I always say they'll say just black, and I go strong and black like myself. <laughs> I don't say that. I don't say that part. But I, I should start and see what happens. <laughs> hey, I think that'd be great. I, I would enjoy to see that. I'll have someone take a video if I ever do it and see the looks I get, just so you can see that. <laughs> Now the, so this, you know, this show is all about helping millennials continue to make wise decisions with money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I found that a lot of times people's overall mindset on money, um, it gets scoped from a young age. You know, if mm-hmm. that's, that's, of course, they can change as they grow up and as they experience new things. But a lot of times that's where those cornerstones get put in place. So yeah. let's go back there. Let's talk about what was money like in your household as you were growing up. Yeah. Um... You know, I've been thinking about this. You sent me these questions last week and I've been had a little time to prep and ruminate. Honestly, like looking back, I don't have a huge um, memory of like money, um, like at the time. But looking back, I'm like, we we didn't have that much. Like we hit my dad. My dad's an accountant. He worked um, full time. And then during tax season, he went crazy and worked two jobs for those four months. Um and it, we didn't live in like excess or anything like that. So looking back, I realized like, okay, it was tighter than my parents let on. But yeah, um, you know, it wasn't something that I thought too much about, which is a blessing. Like if you're not stressing about money, that's obviously not a bad thing, right? Even as a kid or not hearing the conversations. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think in my household, it was it was really important to like they, my parents instilled working really hard and grinding and doing what it takes um, to make sure you have what you need. But it wasn't something that was super discussed at a, at a really young age. But when I started to get into like middle school, high school, that's when I started to realize like, oh, we don't have as much. And oh, uh, we're not in the same boat as some of our other friends uh, that we may have had. So um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, with my dad working two jobs, he wasn't home a ton. So I I realized like he had to work and that part sucked for me as a kid, but that's about as far as it went, honestly. So having a, having a father who's in accounting, did he share any tips with you as far as tax strategies or anything like that coming up? Uh, you know, he, he talked a lot. We talked a lot in our household about the importance of savings and, and trying to get on the savings grind early because it's hard to save when you, um, don't know why you need to, if you're not saving for something, that's what I've learned. And that's what I've seen. And so, um, he, he would talk about that a lot. And then, uh, other than that, not really, uh, he wanted, I, I was really good at like math growing up. It just like clicked for me. My brother was the opposite. He's like, no math for me. I'll learn other stuff. Hmm. But for me, I was like, math was, was there. So my dad, my dad always did try to corner me into being an accountant. Uh, he, he tried to push that real hard, but it didn't work out. I'm out on that. But um, yeah, I mean, he would, he, he would, uh, he would help a lot of people and he would have people calling him, uh, with tax questions. I mean, year round, but really during that tax season, and he was, he was, he is a tax wizard. So, uh, now I'm just like, Hey dad, here's my stuff. Uh, let me know when it's done. Let me know what you need. So, uh, I might've failed him in that way, but other than that, yeah, he didn't talk to me about it too much. Well, Hey, that's cool. You know, it's, it's always nice to have someone in your corner who knows what they're doing. Yeah. 
So let's fast forward a bit. You know, you talked about your childhood coming up and money. Right. Let's talk about time you got a little more independent. Maybe you're on your own. Um, it might be in your early marriage years, your college years. I'm not sure when it was. Let's talk about a time where you kind of got a reality check and realized that you're a little independent. Money's a real thing and money got smacked in the face. Yeah. Um, honestly, I think pre being independent, uh, uh, I mentioned like in middle school, high school, I started to notice that we didn't have as much. Um, my mom taught at a Christian school. She was a teacher. And so uh, we went to Christian private schools uh, just because my mom's a teacher and generally kids go free or whatever. Um, and it didn't take me long to realize like, oh, my friends have a lot of stuff I don't. Like my friends and their families, we're going to houses that are twice the size of mine and they have a lot of toys and they have a lot of stuff that we just don't have. And so I started to realize like, okay, I don't know what their families are doing, but maybe I need to do those things. Uh, I went to school in Lodi, so it was a lot of like wine money. And so we weren't wine people. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in South Sac, like there was, there's not vineyards all around. Um, but we did, um, that did instill in me like, okay, I'm not gonna get the head start they are. Uh, a lot of my friends were gonna have their colleges paid for, that's not gonna be me. Um, a lot of my friends were gonna have uh, cars when they turn, you know, fifth, get their permit, they get a car that wasn't yeah. going to be me. And so I just started to realize like, I'm not going to have that kind of an easy pathway. And my parents did great. They did a ton for me. Um, they, they got me through uh, what I need to get through. They were always willing to help out, but I just didn't have that head start that they had. And so I think one of the, one of the first things I realized that money's like real and it's, and it's difficult is we lost a house in 2010. We were able to keep it through the recession in 2008, but dragging by, right. And we lost our house in 2010 um, we went to a rental house and right when we got into that rental house, my parents got divorced. And so we weren't in that rental house long. We couldn't afford it. And we all kind of went our separate ways. It was weird. My brother moved uh, on his own, my dad and myself, we, we all went our separate ways. And that's when I was like, oh crap, like I got to pay for rent. I got to pay bills. I just have to do that. I was in school full time, um, trying to work odd jobs, doing stuff like that. And I just had, I dropped out. And I had to start working as full time as I possibly could. Um, and that, that's when it really hit me like, okay, yeah, you gotta, you gotta grow up quick. I was 19. And uh, that was, that was one of those moments for me where I was like, okay, uh, I'm going to have to put what I want to do on hold uh, to support myself. And that's what I did. Um, I ended up working at a paint store, loved it. Uh, and I, I grew a ton by living on my own, but at the same time, like that, that sucked at the time. I didn't want to drop out of school. I didn't want to, stop doing the things I wanted to do. I didn't want to stop uh, not having to pay rent. So any money I had was mine. Like I had to start paying bills. I had to start taking uh, life, uh, you know, on my own and start, start growing up real fast. So I, I would say that was the biggest one for me. Yeah. So that, that was a vibe deep, deeper than I expected. So, mm -hmm. so having to make that kind of sacrifice of putting your dreams on hold, putting on, putting school on hold, what's important to you to survive, mm -hmm. How has that kind of scoped who you are today? Oh man, that that really, I, I would say that, that that grew me, like I said, really fast. And so um, moved out on my own at 19, at 20. Uh, I actually rented a room from a family right when I moved out, which was super gracious of them to let me just rent a room. And then I got an apartment, then I got an apartment on my own. Um, and at each step, I just started to uh, like take on more responsibility at work, get a promotion, find a new job, things like that. And so it really pushed me to 
realize like, okay, I can do more for myself if I just keep grinding more. And so it, it did help me to develop that work ethic. Like my dad displayed my whole life, uh, working two jobs during tax seasons to make sure we had enough. Um, I was able to do that. I was able to grind and do what it took. Um, but I also was very aware of the fact that I didn't, didn't get to pursue what I felt like I was made to do, um, which I told you at the beginning, I, I'm finishing my, my bachelor's. Uh, I'm not working right now. And what, what that did is once, once I got married and, and things like that, my wife really pushed me like, hey, chase your, chase your dreams. Now's the time. Um, and so I went back to school and, and it just really helped me build that time really helped me build appreciation for what I'm doing right now and finishing school and, and getting to pursue a career in uh, vocational ministry, which is what I felt called to do uh, since I was 20. And so it really has made me appreciative of what I'm doing now, even though I'm 29 graduating with a bunch of 21 and 22 year olds. And sometimes uh -huh. I feel weird about that. Um, I'm really appreciative for what, what I've been able to do um, and, and the jobs I've had and then getting to stop and just go to school full time and focus on that. It's been great. Hey, that was awesome answering, man. I'm just so glad you're back in school pursuing mm -hmm. your dreams. I, I, I really respect the fact that you, you made it happen. Like you said, yeah. when you were 19 on your own, you realized I got to make it happen. You had to put that grind in. And I, that goes back to how you, what you saw your dad doing when you were young. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. you, you persevered obviously another mm -hmm. thing i'd like to just give a shout out to your wife carissa um the fact that she pushed you you know that there's a bible verse i know you i'll test you i'm pretty you might be able to say where it is <laughs> i can quote the verse i can't tell you where what where it is a man who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains mm -hmm. favor from the lord and and like that's what she did that, that like i'm right. i'm a firm believer that, that, that i'm a firm believer in soulmates and there's people out there who make you a better person and my wife did the same thing for me as I was starting this career. She pushed me and motivated me. And it sounds like she did the same right. thing to you. She, she sees your potential just like my wife saw my potential. And it's their job to push us to, into our full potential. Yeah, totally, man. It's, it's crazy. Uh, when we got married, I was a project manager for a construction company, um, which is almost the farthest thing away from ministry that I could have <laughs> been doing. Uh, and I was making good money and everything was great, but I was miserable and I was stressed. And my wife, you know, we had been married for, um, been married for two or three months only. And she was like, now that I'm seeing you day to day, we didn't live together before we got married, but she's like, now that I'm seeing you day to day every night, coming home, you're miserable. Like you can't keep doing this forever. Um, and she just got tired of seeing me that way. And that's, uh, that's like you said, that's a gift. Like, uh, you know, like I said, she's a nurse, God has blessed her with a great job. And we are just so thankful for that, that we've been able to live on just her income for the most part. And then uh, I've been able to be a student and then a full-time uh, caretaker, stay-at-home dad, trophy husband, whatever you want to call it, uh, with our <laughs> daughter at home, which has been just an awesome time for me too. You know, that, that's awesome, man. That, the stay home dad role, that, that's the tough job. That's incredibly hard, <laughs> but, but it's rewarding. You're not kidding. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, it's rewarding. But um, so I want to talk about being newlyweds and mm -hmm. two things I want to touch on. First, we'll start here. Just what was it like? I'm not sure what Chris's financial background is in her household, mm -hmm. but what was it like just for our, our listeners out there who are coming into marriage or to that point where they might be looking to settle down what was it like merging two different financial backgrounds together and trying to figure that out it's a it's an adjustment 
Uh, it really is. We had these conversations um, ahead of time, even while before we were engaged, while we were dating, we just had conversations. We were pretty transparent about our financial situations because there's no point in not being. Um, we come from two very different uh, backgrounds as far as uh, approaches to money. Her, her background was uh, you make it, you save it, don't spend it, uh, be as frugal as possible. Mine wasn't necessarily that way, but it was also... Um, I, it was about being frugal, but I had a little more uh, training because of my dad on, you know, how investment and things like that. And so we, we are very different people. She's actually, she went the opposite way. She's more of a spender. I'm more of a saver. Uh, she's a safer investor. I'm willing to say, let it ride. We're young and we'll figure it out as we go. Um, and so we just had to, we just had to find middle ground. We were both comfortable and happy with. Um, but we were engaged for seven months and throughout that seven months, like I said, it was complete transparency with our finances. So once we got married, we merged our accounts. It was just, it was kind of seamless, but there were a lot of hard conversations leading up to that point where uh, that's what I would encourage anybody that's looking to get married or um, is, is recently married and hasn't done that yet. Like have those hard conversations of like, okay, so uh, look what you spend on this. That's a lot of money on fast food, Philip. Uh, something she may have said to me. Um, I don't know, but just like those conversations about you, like I tend to save more, she tends to spend. How can we find a middle ground where she doesn't feel miserable um, with what we're doing? And I'm not stressed out all the time because of how she spends or doesn't spend. So it was it was hard, but those conversations have made finances through our marriage super, super easy in comparison. No, I, I got to completely agree. You know, just putting all those cards on the table financially and just mm -hmm. in other areas too, but just talking about financially specifically it makes it a lot easier when you put all the cards on the table before you take that step into marriage and right. then they they kind of know what to expect and what they're working with and mm -hmm. i found what women hate is unpleasant surprises they like surprises they really hate unpleasant ones <laughs> so so it's important to kind of kind of put your cards out there and let them know where you stand so they can understand where you're coming from and know what and at least right. know what to expect and that, i'm right. sure that goes both ways Totally, totally, yeah, and it it honestly has made uh we don't fight about money, we really don't we fight about other things um we don't have a perfect marriage, we fight about things, but we don't fight about money very often, um if at all, and so that's just a blessing and you hear yeah, I'm sure our listeners on the show they've heard me a lot talk about the money purpose plan, and I think that's a big thing the couples and they do together is just kind of put mm -hmm. their values out there, figure out what their values are, and then make sure they're aligning their spendings and their values. Because when you understand why your spouse values something, you don't have a problem with them spending money on it. Right. But when, exactly. when they're spending money on something, you don't know what the reasoning behind that. That's where those those kind of fights and hiccups can come up. Totally. Or, totally. or when they don't even know the reason why they're spending money on it. Yeah, you're just like, well, I, I mean, I saw so and so do this growing up, so why not? And if you, like you said, if you don't have a reason or you don't have a budget set up to where you know like oh we have this much to spend on groceries so if you go to the grocery store and go ham if it's within the budget we're fine like it's not something to stress about and that's that's huge here's a question that's unique to you and i'm not sure i i was not even planning on asking this until we got in this conversation but what was it like for you for carissa to kind of ask to say hey go back to school be a stay home at home dad i got it financially was that did you see were you okay with that was that kind of humbling experience for you did it make you feel awkward um what, what were some of your thoughts as that was going on 
Yeah, I was I was relieved to to get to go back to school. I really was. I was um, like I, I had described. I was tired of the job I was doing. I was miserable, so I was relieved to go back to school. Um, right after I started going back to school, a couple months later, I actually got a part time job at a bank just to kind of give myself a little bit of something to do, a little purpose. I did feel those first couple months just horrible sitting around our apartment, um, not doing anything. So. Uh, I did do that. But once my daughter was born, uh, we just kind of realized that um, what I was making barely covered childcare for me to keep working. And there there was no point in that. Um, so it was a little humbling to know that um, childcare was making what I was making because I really felt like I was doing something good that I enjoyed working at a bank. Um, but but it, it, as much as it was humbling, honestly, it just kind of was, it, it just felt right. I would rather be the one home with our daughter at that point. Um, so it, it was a little humbling and, and still is to a point, but it was for a reason. And so I know that like once, once school is done here in a few weeks, I'm going to be back to work and we're going to get, you know, I'm going to be living a purpose that actually matters to me and working a job that I'm passionate about, not just a job to, to get me a paycheck. And so um, while it was a little humbling, it was more uh, relieving and fulfilling. Yeah, I know a lot of times, like being a married man myself, we like to assume we know what someone's reaction to something is going to be. Like you might have not known if you said, what's your reaction? What her, what, how Chris would react to you saying, you know, I don't want to work anymore. I just want to go to school. And mm-hmm. I'm sure it's got to be, it's, it had been so relieving for her to bring that up to you and her say it. Right. It was. And it's just important to have these conversations and especially with your partner, you know, with your life partner, mm-hmm. express these things and make sure they're known. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you're living your dream now and pursuing that. Yeah, for sure, man. No, it was, it was great that she brought it up. I probably never would have, <laughs> or if I did, it would have been a long time down the road. And so I'm glad she brought it up when she did in a time where we could make that happen pre-kids um, and all that. So that was cool. Okay. So one thing I don't, one thing I know is it's hard for people to kind of consider themselves successful. They're always striving for the next level. But one mm-hmm. thing I do know is you today, Phil, you and your household today is more successful than you were maybe five years ago when you and I first met and uh, you, mm-hmm. were, you, were, you, were, you were working at the job you hated. What are some things you go back and share with your younger self or younger selves in your case as a couple, just kind of encourage you guys to make this, continue to make the right decisions. Right. Um, Yeah. You know, you talk about uh, the money purpose plan on here. And so I would say that my, my advice for my younger self or for our younger selves as married, uh, as a married couple would be to save, but to save like more efficiently for a purpose. I think that just growing up working and living on my own, like I would save money, but I just saved money to save money. And so at some point I would see something at the store or something that I wanted and I was like, who cares? And I would spend my savings and then it's gone and you have to start over. And so um, when you, when you save just for the sake of saving, you're, you just have money that you're going to eventually blow. At least that's my personality. And so I would say to save, but save for a purpose. When I was saving for my wife's engagement ring, I didn't feel bad about saving. I didn't want to, I'm not going to touch that money because it has a purpose and there's a reason that I'm saving. And so 
I found myself like less inclined to want to spend overspend and things like that. So I would definitely say to save for a purpose um, for me. And then for my wife and I, I would say to, that's a, that's a good question. I would say the same thing, save, save for a purpose, but our purpose would be a home um, because we are not homeowners, mostly because we're on one income. Um, and we're looking at that as our next step. But I think we could have got into a home uh, a little earlier if we would have been saving for that purpose uh, a little more explicitly. Yeah. And, and that's the big thing. You said two things there, you know, when you say for a purpose, like you spend it when just cause it's there. But right. then also, even if you spend on that area, you value either way, once you spend it, you're kicking yourself after. Right. Once you realize you're spending in an area that you value, then you're not kicking yourself for spending it. And not right. kicking yourself for saving it. So it just, it makes it easier on both ends. Totally. Totally. A hundred percent. Yeah. And then, you know, the home purchase, the home purchase thing, you know, it's, um, you guys are still very young, you know, you guys right. are still super young. It's better to start making steps towards that now rather than looking back 10 years from now and saying, man, I wish we would have done that earlier. So. Right. Right. And so, like I said, I wish we started a year earlier, but it is what it is. And we're, we're happy where we're at still. So what are some of your plans after school? Phil? Yeah. So, um, starting in January, I'll be, uh, coming on staff at the church that I am currently, uh, attending and kind of serving at. So it'll be a more official role, a paid role, uh, praise God, a paid role that I can get to do what I want to do. Um, and I, I will actually be continuing school. Um, but while I'm working, so I'll be doing uh, graduate school online, uh, starting in the fall. So I'll have like nine months to get acclimated and get in a flow. And then I'll be adding homework back onto that. But I feel like if I'm in a flow, we'll be fine. So uh, that's what's next. And then after that, after grad school, I mean, I I'm pursuing church ministry full time. And so that's, that's what I'll be doing. I'll be uh, just trying to figure out where I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to be doing as far as uh, serving in a church capacity. Yeah, I was just going to, I was going to ask you what, if you have dreams of, of aspirations of actually being, a, being the head lead pastor at a church. And, you know, I see it, man. I see it there. I listened to your podcast. Mm -hmm. Today's episode was awesome, you know, and you guys are really forward thinking pastors, you and Seth, your co-host. And, yeah. and I think it's what the body needs. I think it's what the body needs right, right now. So, totally, man. I, I think I think for a long time, uh, the church has been a little insulated, thinking if we we're just teaching the Bible, that's enough. And that's a good start. But that's not what um, the people of God, not to totally rant, but that's not what the church is here for. The church is here for to make an impact on the world around us. And so if you're just staying insulated, uh, reading your Bible, feeling good about it, you're missing the point of why God has left us on this earth to, you know, to serve him. And so uh, yeah, I'm really passionate about um, trying to adapt and trying to ensure that that you know the the churches, you know, the neighborhoods rather around the churches that I serve at actually know that we exist and would care if we closed our doors. <laughs> like I, that's something I'm really passionate about because a lot of times, like I said, when you become too insulated, you totally forget about the world around you that you're supposed to love. One thing you guys said on today's episode are. I'm summarizing, but I, I'm sure you understand what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Is that how the church needs to be that source of help? 
what people go to, you know, that source of advice, a source of guidance, but mm-hmm. people aren't seeing the churches that they're seeing. A lot, a lot of people are seeing it as that source of where you go to be judged or condemned. Right. And it should be more of a, a place to go to be fed. Right. So what, if you become a head pastor, what are some things you do to make sure that does happen in your church? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, one of the things that I, I think is super important is for pastors to just never stop learning and, and listening really well. So adapt, a, approaching ministry, not as an expert, but as a student trying to figure out what they're supposed to do. Um, like you said, the episode we released is talking about uh, the church staying relevant. We're not talking about trying to, um, you know, do a sermon series uh, that's named after a TV show that's on, but like staying within culture being something that is a beacon of hope, not just something that's like you said, a source of judgment or uh, condemnation or something. So for me, just listening really well, learning people's stories and learning what people actually need in the community where I'm serving. I think too often churches are like, Oh, we know what you need. And you're like, do you, did you ask? Like you can ask, that's not that big of a deal. So that's one thing. And then another thing is just training uh, other leaders. I don't think any, um, pastor should be uh, doing it on their own. Not that any pastor is, but um, you should always be training somebody to take your job. Um, And I know that sounds a little scary, but you should be training people to do the job that you are doing. If you feel like this is what God has called you and the people that serve on your team to do, you should be training them to to keep moving forward, keep progressing, keep changing the world, even uh, long after you're gone. And so those are two things that I think are really important for me. Okay, so that, that was that was deep. I'm gonna touch on both those. I'm gonna okay. go with the latter first, just because I was reading the Book of Kings today, and you know, you know, when you know the story of Solomon, you know it ends bad for him, but you know mm-hmm. that doesn't mean he's still the wisest man that will ever be that, that there will ever be. So I was trying to read mm-hmm. it from a lens of like, what can I learn from Solomon? And I remember how I was noticing today as I was reading, he was placing other leaders. Over the other over other tribes, he's like right. placing all these leaders, and that, and that really stuck with me today. It's funny that you mentioned that. That's how you feel it should be as a ministry to, to create these other leaders, so they mm-hmm. can kind of carry out the mission. So I love that, and I love that idea that as far as far as um helping the community, and then mm-hmm. secondly was back to staying relevant, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think I didn't even capture this as I, as I was listening to your podcast day, but you made it a lot more clear here tonight. Um, just like relevant on what's going on, what's going on in this area of where my church is, like what are they doing? What is my congregation dealing with? And how can I relate that back to the word of God? And I think that's huge. You know, I think that's what's going to get the people who don't want to hear the history lesson because they don't necessarily believe it, but they can hear how this, this will impact their life. I, I, lo- I love to hear that. So speaking of being relevant, you know, right now, mm-hmm. 2020, we're dealing with some, a lot of stuff in the nation, you know, a, a lot of, you know, we're dealing with COVID-19 globally. A lot of people mm-hmm. are out of their jobs. I've seen a lot of people lose their jobs. I, I foresee a lot of foreclosures happening. Once all these mortgage forgiveness programs begin to go away, they're going to still want their money. Um, mm-hmm. Schools are closed. All, all the, you know, there's still there's still the Black Lives Matter movement. There's still there's still these murders still happen, you know, and mm-hmm. it's, it's, I know for my community we haven't forgotten it, and right. there's just a lot going on right now. 
And what is it that you do as a as a leader and a minister, just to kind of kind of keep that certainty in what seems to be uncertain times? You know, um, one of the things that I really value is understanding that um, it, it's it's a kind of a cheesy way to say it. Uh, it's a little cliche, but it's only cliche because it's true. Uh, my identity doesn't come from my activity. So what I do, how I interact with the things that are going on in our world, you're, you're not wrong. Like this 2020 has been wild if you have been living under a rock. Like this is insane the amount of stuff we have seen and dealt with this year. But at the same time, like regardless of if I'm succeeding in dealing with these things or failing, that doesn't define who I am as a person. Um, as a, as a believer, as a Christian, I believe that I'm a child of God who God loves with whom he is well pleased. That's, that's Mark chapter one, verses nine through 11. Like that's just who I am. And so one thing that, that really matters to me is just remembering who I am. Because if my, if I, if I'm doing all these things, if I'm doing act, like just being active in the community, if I'm being an activist for all these causes, but I'm not, I'm not solid with who God has made me to be, and I'm not living my purpose, then I'm missing the boat. I might be doing a lot of good for people, but I'm not doing a lot of good for myself and for my soul. And so that's one thing that's really important um, to me is just like remembering who I am. And, and I know that sounds like a little insular for the type of stuff that's going on in our world, but if I'm not grounded in that, I can't do good for other people. I can't point them to who they are if I don't know who I am. And so uh, I believe the Bible says to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you don't spend the time to learn about who you are and love who God has made you to be, you can't love other people really well. And so that's, that for me is huge. I love that answer. I love that answer a lot. And just to summarize that, make sure I heard you correctly, correctly. It's just mm -hmm. remembering who God made you. Mm -hmm. you know what? So regardless of what's going on in the, in the world, you and I both believe God made us. God made you, yeah. you, and God made me, me for this specific time. Right. And as long as you're focusing on who you are in Christ and who God has made you, that's kind of, that will help you make sure that you're making the right decisions so you can stay mm -hmm. certain in what's otherwise uncertain times. Yeah, totally. Totally. I was just going to say the other, the only other thing for me uh, that's kept me uh, certain in, in this is, is my wife. Um, she is, she's a star. Uh, we've talked about her a little bit. I don't know if she'll ever listen to this. If she does, I'm getting brownie points. If not, uh, I'm just telling the truth here. Um, she's a star. She, um, she's a nurse. She's in a somewhat recession proof uh, industry right now. And so just knowing that her hustle and grind as an 18, 19 year old to become a nurse is keeping us secure 10 years later, it's just, it's just a blessing. Um, and, and then just being able to parent with her, uh, teach our daughter about what's going on in the world together, uh, break down and talk about what's going on in, in the world and in our community together. Um, those things have been huge. I'm an extrovert. I thrive on like community and other people. So I need that. But at the same time, I think it's been healthy that it's just been me and her to break down um, the racial reconciliation that needs to happen or um, the injustices that are happening or the political climate or whatever the case may be, I've needed her to, to help me and to be a sounding board and to just offer um, her insight. And so those are the two things for me that have been, uh, I think, most important. Yeah, I love both those answers because I can definitely relate, man. Um, 
my wife and I, we kind of have a similar relationship. It sounds like where we have a good counterbalance for one another. And I've, I, just my person, I'm big picture. I see big picture. Mm-hmm. And my, my mm-hmm. wife will see nuts and bolts. And I'll right. have this big picture, huge idea. And she'll say, okay, let's go back to square one and figure out how we get from this square one <laughs> to where you want to be and kind of pull me back on my leash, get back to where I need to be so I can be the best mm-hmm. me going forward. Mm-hmm. Totally. So totally. Um, I know this is, hey guys, this is a financial podcast, by the way, but with, <laughs> <laughs> but if you guys would like to um, respond to the altar call. <laughs> no, no, right, kidding. right. No, but um, so you said something earlier that I should have touched on, but it kind of forgot about it, to be honest with you. It happens. Um, yeah, it you, happens. You said that as a church, you want to listen before you diagnose. Like you want right. to, uh, know, uh, what's the word? You want to want to diagnose before you prescribe. So okay. yeah. So as a church, how would you do that? Uh, you know, that's hard. That's really hard as as an organization um, to do it on a large scale. I think it starts with individuals. Um, but if if your leadership has that posture of learning and listening, your your church will follow. Um, and, and that's not just a church culture concept. That's a leadership concept. If you as a leader are uh, exhibiting certain traits that you want emulated, they will be emulated by people um, if you're consistent and if you're sincere. And so as a leader, just listening well would, would allow people to um, see that modeled and then listen well. But on a larger scale, um, as a leader to you know, bring in other voices. Like right now, um, you know, I am a 29 year old white man. I'm not going to have insight into the experience of the African American community. I need other people to tell me, but then tell other people as well. So what we did on our podcast, uh, made live not to pitch it, but it's fine. Um, we had my friend, uh, Tim Atape, he's a, a worship artist come in and talk uh, to us about racial reconciliation and how he's seeing it and how he's experiencing that. And I think that's important, not just to listen on a, on a small scale one-on-one, that's important, but as a leader to say, okay, I'm going to actually let you talk to the people that I lead and, and use your voice for the staff or use your voice for the, the church as a whole uh, just to listen. And I think once you, once you enable people to listen, once you uh, display that posture of learning, I think other people are bound to follow. And, you know, I just can't say enough about listening, you know. That that the so much of what I do is just listen to my clients mm-hmm. and really hear and understand what their goals are, what's important to them. You know, because right. I someone in my position can easily recommend something. Just and right. and whoever I'm recommending to will take it as this is what's best for me, is because it's what he said. Right. But in re, but the reality is I have to understand what's best for that person. So I have to put myself in their shoes and let them tell me why they're motivated by whatever it is that is motivating sure. them and why are they what what is it that what is it about this goal they're trying to reach that means so much to them so i can kind of really give them sound sound advice right totally yeah um you can't like you said you got to diagnose before you prescribe but you can't even diagnose unless you listen to what's hurting um yeah. if you're not listening to what people um you know take take your cues from your doctor if you 
if you go into your doctor's office, they don't just say, here's a prescription, get out of here. They, they listen to what you say, they check out what you said, and then they prescribe something to fix it. And that's just what you do. You listen, you do your research, and then you do your best after that. You do your best to try to be, um, you're, not, you're not a fixer. I don't think any leaders need to be fixers. Um, like you, you're not just gonna have somebody come in to talk to you about their finances and you're like, let me fix your financial future for you. And, and you don't have to do anything, like that doesn't work. But just doing your best and doing your part I think it's huge. Exactly. And just understanding what, what is they're saying, you know, so mm-hmm. often that not just in my career or in someone else's career, but in society in general, when someone's talking, the person listening is literally, is literally majority of the time thinking about what they're going to say next. Right. So, so they're not actually truly listening and mm-hmm. just taking time to understand and hear what the person's saying. So I, I really like what you're saying about a church like that, that does listen Mm-hmm. To, and see what's going at least at least be be in the community and hear what's going on in the community so they can always stay relevant so right that's huge so guys yeah. like i said this is a financial <laughs> this is a financial <laughs> podcast <laughs> but um so phil we were at the end of the financial podcast so this okay. question is definitely financial related so perfect so phil the term financial success means different things to different people and it mm-hmm. means different things to even the same people at different times. So I'm asking yeah. Phil today, uh, November 2020, what does the word financial success mean to you? And I like to think of it from a quality of life, not a dollar amount. Right. Um, I, I got two things. I got two things. Uh, the first one is simple, not having to stress out about money all the time. Uh, when I, you know, the story I described and I'm moving out on my own, it's literally I'm budgeting to the to the penny to make sure I have enough to make sure, um, you know, that I that I can try to see the future and see what's going to come up. And then I didn't, and then my car would break down. I'd panic, and I was constantly stressed about money. So for me, financial success is first and foremost not stressing about money. Uh, whether that means you just have such a a rock solid budget that you're not stressed, uh, living paycheck to paycheck, or you're you're out of that phase, whatever the case may be. Um, just not having to stress every time you have to make a purchase um, is huge. And then the second one is being able to live um, generously. Uh, Living a life of generosity is huge. Um, For me, I believe that uh, me and my wife, we agree that, you know, God has given her her job as a nurse and has given me um, a passion for church ministry to help people. And sometimes that help can come um, from us doing things or talking through things with people. But there will be times, hopefully, that people, um, if there's a need that we can just meet um, because of what God has given us, we can just give it, give it on and pay it forward to other people who are in need. So that, that's huge for us, too, uh, living a life of generosity and then not having to stress about money. Okay, so not having to stress about money. Like, and the biggest thing, the, 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 uh, the, now this one I will prescribe, to not stress <laughs> about money, <laughs> having emergency reserves, and I'm sure you do, you've done right. That, that yeah. the peace of mind that comes alongside with emergency reserves, it can't mm-hmm. even be explained. And a lot of times people will come in to a financial advisor and think they're going to talk about investing right off the bat. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have emergency reserves, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, you probably shouldn't be investing right now because right. the peace of mind, you, you got to have that cushion knowing that if crap is the fan, I lose my job. No one's going to know I lost my job for at least another three to six months. That piece right. of mind that comes with that, it helps you think rationally and and avoid mm-hmm. this, avoid from settling. 
totally. And then the life of generosity, which is huge. You know, generosity, if you understand how, how you as an individual should be generous, whether it's sowing mm-hmm. your time, whether it's sowing to the homeless, or whether it's preaching, or whether it's teaching, or whether it's tutoring, if you right. can find what, what your lane is to live generously, generously, generously in, you're going to be happy. I can right. almost guarantee it. I can't say guarantee because this is a financial <laughs> podcast. But, but almost. Pretty, yeah, I can get pretty close to guaranteeing it. If you understand how you as an individual can live generosity, gener- generously, you're mm-hmm. going to be happy. So I really yeah, appreciate you sharing totally. that, Phil. Yeah, absolutely. So, Phil, this is the end of the show. I had a great time having you on. I'd love to have you back. And I think that um, me, you, and our wives should go to dinner sometime. Absolutely, man. Hey, it's been a it's been a blast. Uh, thank you for coming on our show. Uh, first, in good faith that I would show up, and I did, and I'm glad I did, man. It was a ton of fun. Let's do that. Okay, so uh, this is your show commercial. So let's let's hear your commercial right now. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I said, I'm a host of a podcast called the Made Alive Podcast. You can find us on all of the podcasting networks in the world i think we're on all of them my my co-host seth does all that he nails it um yeah we talk about leadership uh we have some fun peyton got to do a top five draft where we drafted tv shows we do fun stuff we talk about serious stuff we talk about leadership first and foremost um so yeah check that out made live podcast or you can find us on instagram at uh, made alive podcast yeah guys check out their show it's an excellent show i loved it i've been on it Check out my mm-hmm. episode for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. And Phil, I'd like to thank you for not rejecting my dinner invite on on while we're recording. That would have been pretty humiliating. Yeah, no, no, I'll do it. I'll do it off <laughs> off the record. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> I thanks. didn't expect that. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. God bless. Congratulations, guys. You've officially made it to the disclosure portion of the show. I'm an investment advisor representative of securities offered through Bertha Fisher & Company, Financial Services, Inc., BFCFS member FINRA-SIPC. Holmes Financial is independent of BFCFS. Thanks, and have a blessed week.